Catherine Burke. Catherine Burke. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. We're talking with Catherine Burke about a number of different things. We're going to talk about, uh, first of all, these videos she's putting up on LinkedIn where she's got rock and roll going with some drone footage. So we'll talk about that. She was on a podcast recently. She's like one of the most sought after people right now down in the Permian. So uh, she started her own company. So we got a success story to wrap in here too in terms of new beginnings. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on and being so hospitable when I was down in the Permian Basin. So let's talk about this company, first of all, CTJ Energy Solutions, who you're doing some work for out in the oil patch. Uh, talk, talk about that. And then also your consulting company as kind of a transition, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Uh, CTJ is a manufacturer they specialize in uh, steel fabrication, and a lot of the locations out here in West Texas have flares, VRUs, gas busters, um, sand separators, all of those equipment that's left on location. A lot of that has already been manufactured by CTJ here in the Permian and in Hobbs, New Mexico. Okay, is that uh, pretty much the shale plays you're in anywhere else? They do have some... Some in the Colorado Rockies area, but mainly everything has been focused here in the Permian and in New Mexico. Yeah, well, that makes sense. You know, I think I, I saw where there's over 100 rigs in the Permian and, you know, and, and the other shale plays, there's, you know, handful here, handful there type of thing. So a lot of the, a lot of the safe bet and even the terms of uh, keeping resources under wraps in terms of a control factor, the Permian and which sp spills into New Mexico there, seems to be uh, where a lot of the action is. And a lot of people say, the people that I trust from the different Federal Reserve areas and the economists from the Heartland Institute and et cetera, what they like to say is that about 70% of the shale play action over the next 20 to 30 years is going to come out of the Permian Basin. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your consulting company. So you say you just started this basically in June, huh? You started in COVID. Was that uh, a part-time job turned into a full-time job? Was it you got uh, transitioned into a new new career? Talk to me about your company. Well, Catherine Burke Consulting is uh, just a brand new company. Again, I opened it up in June. The reason why I opened this company was that I had been laid off um, in the economic downturn with this steel trade with China. Then, of course, we had COVID hit, and I was laid off again for the second time in 2020. So I had an opportunity to work for CTJ in April, and the, the economy really wasn't doing well. So I was afraid I was going to get laid off again. They are a strong company, been in business for over 13 years, eight at their existing location. I felt like it was a good opportunity for me to put my feet into the dirt and start grassroots and offer them an opportunity to have some marketing. And that's kind of where the whole drone idea came from. And it's evolved into what it is now four months later. For some people who might want to, you know, reach out to you about some of your services, uh, the drone. Talk to us about that a little bit. I mentioned I mentioned I saw it on LinkedIn. So obviously you're doing some social media, but you're also doing some video footage too. So talk about some of the different things you do. 
Well, I have a little over 20 years in the oil and gas industry and seven working for the military doing the rebuilding efforts of Iraq and Afghanistan after the second Gulf War. My primarily background is in completions. So with CTJ on the, on the downside, that would be after the completions, I had a little bit to offer them in a different point of view. By utilizing the drone technology, I can highlight steel manufacturing, fabrication, and uh, installation out on locations, which a lot of people don't realize. It's, it is a blue-collar worker job, but it, it's very labor-intensive. And you have a lot of people that are playing small parts in a bigger thing. And the bigger thing is, is to get that oil and gas out of the ground, get it downstream and get it onto production so that we can then refine it and turn it into whatever we need to turn it into. Recently, you were on a podcast I saw as well on social media. What was that? What was the name of the podcast again? The name of the podcast was It Happened on the Job. It Happened on the Job. Yes. And, and what happened on the job? Well, they are contractors or they talk about hiring, discussing the lives of what it means to be in the construction business. And since the oil, oil and gas business had kind of taken a turn for the worse, I had refocused the efforts of... CTJ's marketing strategies to include construction. Regardless of what you're building, if you're building it out of steel, it, it can be built. We have a facility that could do it. So with the downturn in the oil and gas, I figured it would be really good to branch out and utilize their economically women-owned small business uh, designation and be able to offer services to the municipalities. So I basically refocused my efforts from the oil field over into construction, and that's where they had picked up the, the notification that I was out here trying to make something happen. I would imagine a lot of the language, a lot of the stories, a lot of the uh, just solutions to the problems in the marketplace would be pretty similar outside of maybe some specifics, you know, like obviously oil and gas has specifics when it comes to the well site and et cetera, but... A lot of the, I guess, in between, I, I would think would be the same. And I say that because, you know, here at the Crude Life, we used to say from the CEOs to the roughnecks to the engineers to the cafe owners in the local community, they're all part of the Crude Life. And, you know, even, even go a step further that, you know, all, all energy and all industry, really, because without, you know, a lot of the oil and gas and fossil fuels, you're not building homes. You're not manufacturing the steel, and you're not uh, making the, the uh, siding and all that other stuff because you need that baseline type of a thing. So industry really encompasses so much of that. All right, I'm going to shut up now because it's a re I'm, I'm boring myself. So really long question here is how was your transition into the new marketplace, if that makes sense, going from an oil and gas into maybe more of a construction or industrial? Well, for me, the transition was pretty seamless. I had seven years uh, background in proposal and marketing management for the rebuilding efforts of Iraq and Afghanistan. So my background already had um, the know-how in order to adequately 
put together and produce a government proposal and submit it through the various portal websites that everyone now uses. Back in the day, we would put together a, a briefing and you would have a, a physical book with everything and then, of course, send all the documents through PDF, but you physically handed in something, whereas now everything is done online. And as long as there's a bill of materials and possibly a drawing, which working with the different municipalities, most of the time they do have that. It's just a matter of quoting your quoting your materials, your time and your labor and delivery, and then submitting it through. Now the the difference is is that when you are working with the government, you are held accountable. You can't lie. I'm gonna say you can't get caught lying, but you are held your feet are held to the fire when you submit something into the government. It's hard to uh, imagine you used to work in the military. (laughs) 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 My goodness, I almost stood up and saluted there. So um, anyway, uh, you know, I kind of reminds me, uh, Brian Lash, he used to, uh, he started Target Logistics, which turned into now a Target Hospitality or Target Housing. And I'm trying to think of a few other names I can drop real quick, and I'm supposed to actually cite them as examples, but, you know, when you start dropping CEO names, it turns, turns more into a name-dropping session. But to um, validate and illustrate what I'm talking about here is we were, we were making the comparison about the Army and the oil and gas industry from the Brotherhood side or whatever that's, that's PC to be called now, to just the way that a lot of the man camps and the crew camps and the remote housing is set up uh, with the regimens that are set in. Do you see that at all, that there's a comparison with the way that a lot of the military had approached housing and and operations to the oil and gas industry? Does that question make sense? Yes, it does. And I believe there is a direct line. The defects and the ACOEs, which are man camps, which we were setting up in in Baghdad and Iraq, they were 19,000 strong. So once you take the logistics of putting together housing for that type of of man camp show, you have to have all of the the latrines, the administrative buildings. um, You got to have the showers. You have to have everything for those man camps to be self-sustainable. I think that the oil field has done a really good job of taking that technology from the government and then and applying it to our brothers and sisters in the in the oil field. You know, another area of expertise that you might have because of your background and your position and what you're doing has to really do with the kind of the community community development side of things. I met you at a uh, OCI International, Oilfield Connections International Luncheon. And that's that's a form of community development. It's more of a professional B2B type of a thing. But with your marketing background, and you are obviously either in a place of leadership or taking a place of leadership there because you were very active, um, you, you'd be very well skilled to answer the question I'm about to ask you is, how do you think the oil and gas does when it comes to community development and giving back and, and et cetera, et cetera? Do, do you see uh, that still happening and just kind of your experiences, if you wouldn't mind? 
As of lately, I'm not 100% sure of what community involvement the oil and gas is playing. I believe that with schools not being in session or just now coming back online, oil and gas companies are at 50% or 25% personnel. I don't know exactly what the oil and gas is doing in the community efforts other than what I'm learning through the Oilfield Connections International. Um, what I do see or have seen in the past and witnessed, um, I come from Key Energy Services, which is a service provider and, and very strong in, in most of, of Texas and, and a lot of places. And what we saw, the producers were giving back to the communities, building roads, sponsoring schools, uh, any kind of uh, leadership where you're bringing in meals. I, the community effort was large back in the 2009, 2007, 2008, 2009, at an unprecedented level. Anybody in the community could come to a Chesapeake back then and, and get whatever support they needed. I'm not 100% sure because I'm not in the service industry. As I'm in manufacturing, so I don't have my hand on the pulse. But back in the day, it was huge. Two things I want to I go, and one's more of a comment, and then I'll redirect back to a question. One's kind of a snarky comment, but actually true, because um, over the past six months especially, um, there's, it's been very hard to access a lot of companies, um, a lot of executives. Back in the 2009, 10, 11, 12, $100 oil, Man, you could, like you said, walk into Chesapeake or walk into basically any oil and gas company, and they were there for you. They would help you, this and that. Maybe if they couldn't help you there in the spot, they'd at least direct you to somebody who needed help, et cetera. There was a lot of um, access, might be the best word, access. Now, man, these, these executives, it's like a rare albino elk sighting to find them now. It's very difficult. And... I don't know if that's COVID-related, if that's the industry's up against a lot of public scrutiny, if it's just that there's not a lot of activity. I'm not sure. I just know what the end result is. Um, so I, I did want to point that out, that you know, I, I was, was kind of laughing because I'm like, wow, boy, normally people go right into the community development side, but you actually gave like a very hey, this is boots on the ground as of five minutes ago. I haven't seen it here and here and here, and so I do appreciate that. Yes. But the point I wanted to get to is um, more about the body of work that's been done over the past 10 to 15, 20 years. Now, I've only seen over the past 10 years. And what I've seen is what you mentioned, and I think this is lost on people, and this is where I want to get your opinion because of your military background and what you just said, which is oil companies are building roads, they're giving money to the volunteer fire departments. 85% of, of firefighters in America are still volunteer. So they're making sure that volunteer fire departments have firefighting equipment and state, at least state of the last century, if not this century, technology. They're making sure that emergency services have equipment. That is the part that impressed me about oil and gas is they're really focused on those, those core elements that a community needs to stay healthy and safe. Does that, do you understand what I'm saying there? Absolutely. They, they sponsor little league teams. They sponsor uh, 
uniforms. They buy gloves and mitts and balls. They've, the oil and gas has really given back a tremendous amount of money, time, energy, effort, resources to the communities in which they serve. The communities in which these oil and gas producers are, this is where their workforce comes from. These are your employees. And if, if you have a, a starving community, but you have a big oil and gas producer making all the money, it, 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 would, be a, it would be lopsided. So I do see the community effort both on the oil and gas side and being in the community as well. I just I, when you mentioned the roads, I, I was going. That's a great example because they do it. They, they literally do build roads, and then they just all right. This this road is yours now. <laughs> We're done with it. So I mean that that's incredible. I mean that's like a huge gift that is lost on on a lot of people. But uh, all right, let's transition into how you make money and how people can maybe help you out in twenty twenty one with some work. You know, boy, laid off twice and then start your own business and having some having some good activity, hustling out there, making some successes. So how can people get in touch with you? Uh, what are you, you know, looking for? Who's your direct client? Talk to me about that stuff, how people can uh, utilize some of your services. Well, my contact information is Catherine Burke, B-U-R-K. My phone number is 682-290-1033. If you wanted to email me, you can email me at k period b u r k two zero one zero at yahoo, and I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Snapchat, WhatsApp, pretty much any of the social media platforms. And the target audience I'm looking for is anyone who is doing steel fabrication, whether you're making something really small or something really big. If it has to do with welders, blue-collar workers, if you have a bill of materials or a drawing, or if you even need help with those bill of materials or the drawings, we have the people in place in order to help service your needs. 